Amen. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? It's good? It's sweet? Just, uh, yeah, it's been such a, a lovely weekend. Camilla's, as I've been prepping this, this sermon, Camilla's been down at a campsite with uh, some of the guys here in the church, and it's just an awesome time. I saw one of our, our we got a firefighter in the office here who actually told us at the beginning of, uh, I think, Jill, July, just saying, hey, the, the summer looks really bad, it looks really hot coming up, if you could just play, pray for rain, um, please do that. And I met him this morning, I'm like, dude, we went a little bit overboard, but now the sun's back, but let, let's play that we ride that knife edge. Uh, Evan, one of our local guys, he's an Australian who loves this country so much that he, he gets in a helicopter and he fights all the fires over the island, so if you see him, um, buy him a coffee uh, and as that. Um, it's also great, yeah, it's great to be a, a part of this nation. We just celebrated uh, Canada Day like, a, like a, a few weeks ago, and then America's ce- celebrating July 4th. There's a, there's a whole lot of patriotism about, and, uh, but one of the things is, as Christians... Um, we can see happening over and over the years. And as I get into my 30s now, I'm comparing the, the nation that I grew up in as a kid to the nation that I'm in now. Now, I've, I've switched nations since then, but, but we're sort of in this Western world. It's kind of the same. And, and uh, secularization is happening in, in Europe and North America like nothing else. It seems like every, every day in the news where uh, there's... there's something else is happening in our society that seems to take them further and further away from maybe the godly nations that we grew up with. I remember back in England, at least, I think I was talking with um, some people a couple of weeks ago about what school was like. And back in England at junior school, so when I was probably about 10 or 12, I remember that we actually, this was a secular school, a government-run school, I actually remember that we used to sing Christian songs during assembly. Did that happen in Canada? It was kind of a thing. And I remember our principal, I don't think he, he was even a Christian particularly, but he would lead us through prayer, prayer for, the, prayer for the school, prayer for the nation, different things like that. I'm just comparing and contrasting. And I think a lot of us, you know, now I think as I... So I'm kind of like, oh, it's not as good as the old days. I can feel myself getting older. When I was a kid, when I was a teen, I just adults just used to complain about how everything was greater in their day. And now I'm privileged to say I'm, I'm starting to recognize that, that my childhood was the best childhood and all of that. I mean, we've been doing that for years, haven't we? I mean, even, the, even I remember my grandparents talking about, yeah, my generation and when I was in my early teens about how, how you guys don't know we've, we've gone away from God even since then. And I think it's a common theme. It's that we can, we can often lament, we can often uh, get depressed about what's happening in our nations, what's happening in our society. And I, it's, if we really look at it, it's not to be too unexpected. You know, we, we might have grown up with the idea, especially back in England, that we were a Christian nation um, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, but now it's, it's not the other way. And it was kind of interesting growing up in England because you kind of knew that everybody had a, had a kind of a knowledge of who Jesus was. I mean, my, I, I mean, there's probably more people go to church in Canada than, the, than there are in England, but just the way our country has come about and been established through the church, our government, our entire government is sort of based on godly principles and all of this, that's, that's changing now. But you, you knew about it as, as a kid growing up. You knew the history of it. You knew you, knew you were taught it at school to a certain degree. And so we kind of grew up with the fact that, hey, yeah, I, I think we're a Christian nation. I think the United States would probably say they're the same thing. A lot of people, that's changing now. And us as Canada as well. I think one of the, we're the, one of the only national anthems that actually mentions God in its anthem still. That's, that's sweet. 
But we can lament and we can, we can get depressed about where our society is going. Um, as, as the other countries outside the West and Europe seem to be growing in, in, in Christianity and other religions, they seem to be striving for spiritual things. Our society, society seems to be going the other way. And the reason why I mention it this morning is because as I was reading, as I picked a scripture to talk about to you this morning as we stay on this subject of outreach and and working with our society, I was reading in Romans 10. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans 10, was kind of lamenting about his own society. He was talking in different ways, and as I've, I've been reading different studies on Romans, you can just see this theme of that Paul was sort of... He wasn't sort of just, it's not obvious to see, but he was sort of wrestling with the fact that here's God's people, the Jewish people, Israel, God's chosen holy people. When he wrote Romans about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, they still hadn't turned in the numbers that maybe they were expecting towards Jesus. If there was a place that the gospel should take hold and take root and go forth, it should have been in the nation of Israel. But he was sort of, he was sort of getting agitated and, and, and really calling out that in Romans, that here are this, this chosen people, here are these people that have been sanctified by God, chosen by God, but they haven't accepted his son Jesus. And so that kind of made me start to think about how I, how I lament for my, my own society as well. But one of the cool things that happens in Romans 10, actually in verse 20, is that Paul digs up and starts to really show the reasons of, of why that wasn't happening. And he actually dug, dug up a promise um, that actually applies to us. We're Gentiles, we're, we're maybe most of us probably aren't, aren't Jewish by heritage, but so we're Gentile people. We were outside of God's kingdom, but now we've been invited in. And when I was studying and preparing for this, looking at Romans 10.20, I'm just sort of flabbergasted. It just sort of hit me again, the opportunity that's, that's come to our society. In Romans 10, uh, God is speaking. Uh, actually, Paul is quoting back to Isaiah, but he's changed the words a bit to sort of show that the promise is being fulfilled. And he says, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And when I read that verse, I started to get a great hope for our nations. Our nation isn't seeking God. It's not looking for God. It's not how often does our society come to the church and ask, hey, how should we do things? No, that doesn't, that doesn't happen anymore. That would be ridiculous. But Jesus, uh, God is saying, God is prophesying. Isaiah was prophesying and Paul was saying that this is starting to be fulfilled, that I have been found by those who did not seek me and I've been shown, I've shown myself to those who did, didn't ask for me, didn't even ask for me. And that gives me hope. I think it should give us all hope for, for the people of our nation. I don't think we can expect the nation to suddenly turn back from going the other way and coming back to a Christian way of living. But it should give us some grace and hope. And it gives me the grace to say that without that promise that Isaiah spoke, that God gave Isaiah, that I would be in the same place as the rest of our society would be. Unless God worked for me, I was born into a Christian family. I became a Christian at a young, 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 young age. And if that didn't happen to me, I would be in the same place as, as everybody else. It's no lie. I can, I can, it's only by grace that we're any different. God looked on the people, we saw this a few weeks ago, and there's, a, there's another place in Scripture that I'll mention later, but God looks at this wandering crowd, these people, as sort of sheep without a shepherd. He looks on them with a compassion, and so should we. And I want us this morning, one of the things I want God to point out to us this morning is that we can get maybe so bitter against our nation, we can even get bitter against the leaders who are putting things in place, but we need to love these people as sheep without a shepherd, that they're doing things 
That's all they know how to do. You couldn't expect anything else from a society that doesn't believe in God or hasn't met God yet. And it gives us a hope as well that God is willing to be found by those who aren't even seeking him. That's ridiculous, isn't it? And I... Okay, I grew up in a Christian family, so it was different. But I know there's, there's many stories here of people who weren't even trying to find God, who weren't even seeking God, but God made himself known to them and made himself present. That's the promise there. Our nation isn't seeking him, but there is hope. God is showing himself to people who haven't even asked for it. And I think that's the majority of people outside these walls. They're not asking, they're not seeking. But God is going to show up and do something. And how is he going to do that? I think it's a pretty simple message here this morning. We're going to turn in your Bibles, just open it up to Romans 10. It's a simple message, but it's an important message. And it's one that we can sort of skip over too quickly. And as we, as we concentrate on outreach and, and winning the lost, this is a vital place for us to start. Anyway, before that pro- prophecy that, that Paul mentioned, he goes back. In, and in Romans 10.13, 10, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of, of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And you could be forgiven for thinking that there's not much meat here in this passage. In fact, I'm sure if, if, I could, if we laid that out, if we didn't open up the Bible this morning, we just said, how does someone who doesn't know the, know the gospel come to know the gospel? We would have laid out the same steps as Paul did. The only way to be, to be saved is to call on the name of Jesus. The only way to call on the name of Jesus is to believe the gospel. The only way to believe the gospel is to hear the gospel. And the only way to hear the gospel is to be told the gospel. And the only way to be told the gospel is to have someone sent with it to you. Would you agree? Sort of, we, this could be a Sunday school message. This is so great. E- easy time today. Works <laughs> works for Brian. So why is, this, why is this even in Scripture, something so simple? Just something as simple as one plus one equals two. Because obvious things, I think, for us can be easily, easily forgotten. This big chunk of tri- Scripture that we come around again to today, it can be so easily, easy for us to forget in the, in the complexity of life as we become sort of, there's many things happening in each of our lives, we know it, right? Life's complicated, finances are complicated, work is complicated, childcare is complicated, I'm figuring that out now. And that really takes up a a lot of my mind (laughs) at these days, but it seems like the more we go through life and the more responsibilities we get, that life becomes more and more complicated. So God needs to basically yell back to us, hey, this is what you're here for, this is what you're supposed to do, this is the only way that this nation could be turned away, that these people who are lost, that how God is going to reveal himself to him is through someone preaching the gospel to them. Impressing more about why the outreach and going and seeking the lost is so important, we can find in another one of the letters, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 20. And some of you will know this. So 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 20. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of the reconciliation. Ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That, I think that verse says it like no other. You can't, there's no, there's no way out of that verse. There's no way out. We, I make excuses constantly not to share the gospel. I make excuses constantly where I'm, there's too many distractions or there's too many things going on. But here we find that Christ has given us, he's reconciled us and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Is that true, church? I think, like, if you could give this church another name, like, church's names, like, Reconciliation Church, that's what it's all about. We're all about reconciling the lost. God is making his appeal through us. We heard the prophecy that God is revealing himself to those who haven't asked. He's showing himself, but he's showing us here again that we're actually the ones who show God to others. And it can't happen without that. It can't happen without that. How many of you have had an important message being left on an answer phone? Or someone's called your house, someone's picked up your cell phone, and they've taken a message, and that really important message hasn't got to you? Okay, you probably can't think of the exact reason, but, but when that happens, it's entirely frustrating. Maybe I was supposed to meet someone, and now I've let that person down. Maybe I was supposed to give that, maybe it was about picking up my kid, or different things like this or that. When someone takes a message for us and doesn't pass on the information, it's incredibly frustrating, because like, hey dude, I needed that piece of information. That was really vital that you passed on that information to me. And in the same way, we have been given an answering message by God. We have been given a message, the message of reconciliation that we need to pass on to people who haven't heard it. We need to do what truly counts. And there's many things that we're busy with at the church doing. You know, uh, Love Your City is an amazing one. Love Your City is just blessing the city and hoping hoping people uh, hear the gospel message and, and come in and join us. We do feeding programs. We, we, we do other things we're, you know, around the poor and different things like that. But if the gospel isn't preached... We're missing the point entirely. Relationships, bringing people into the kingdom of God is what really counts. That is the whole ministry of reconciliation. And it's more holistic than that. God wants us to heal as well. And we're a training, healing, gathering, sending church. But relationships, people need to be brought from the outside in. Now it's odd for me, like Mike, like he said, this is where we're going. We need to preach on outreach. This is what it's all about. This, this, we're going to be here. So I was like thinking what to preach. I'm like, outreach. Andy preaching on outreach. Who knows that I'm the most amazing outreach person here at Oceanside Church? Put up your hand. Oh, no one's putting up their hands. I'll take mine down. Oh, thanks, Cole. No, it's not true. I am not. Like, if you look at my track history, I'm not the bravest, boldest person around. But when I come back to God's word, God's word I can see what he wants us to do. And I've hidden, you know, spiritual gifts. We've preached on this before a couple years ago. We did a, a, a series on spiritual gifts. And one of the spiritual gifts is evangelism, right? Like there are people in this room who are particularly gifted at evangelism. We know who some of you are. You, you go out on acts on the street. You do different things. You have just got this grace and this gift of evangelism. But the rest of us who might not say, who might not tick that box on that list, we can hide behind those people. So many times in my, heart, my life is like, 
I'm, I'm more of an admin. I'm, I'm more of a sound guy. I'm, put me behind the desk. I'm more of a, a tinkerer. I'll, I'll do the website. That's like my outreach. That's, like, that's my thing. I can hide behind people who have really got the gift of the Spirit in that. And evangelism is a gift of the Spirit. There are people who are so anointed to do that, who can, can deliver the gospel in ways that are just so creative and totally from God. But let us not hide behind those people. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. It's to all of us. And we're all doing different parts. But we need to start, stop asking how are we to hide from it. And we need to start asking what can we do. I used to play soccer. I'll call it soccer. I used to play soccer with my dad. And my dad's a, a great... He's, if, if, if there was a spiritual gift of footballing, that would have been him. Like He loves football. He doesn't f- follow a particular team. But he played for these little local clubs and he probably, neither, none of my brothers really like football any longer. Um, um, and it was a shame for my dad because he, he loved it every day, every day just watching different games. Didn't follow a team, but just would watch all the teams. And I was, we used to play, our church used to have a, a men's, a men's uh, soccer league and stuff like that. And it used to be dads and sons playing soccer on a Sunday afternoon um, out. And uh, you, used to, you used to be on the same uh, side as your dad. And, and who could think that's the best thing in the world, to be in the same football team as your dad? Depends on your relationship with your dad. I think Zion, my son, would be thrilled about that. I wasn't especially thrilled about being on the same team as my dad. My dad's quite a different character to me. I love my dad immensely. But on the football pitch, he's like telling me where to go, exactly what to do. Andy, you need to be over here. Andy, you're not looking for the ball. Andy, your head's down. Get on your, get on your toes. Look for action. And it remind, I'm reminded of that this morning because that's completely how it can be with evangelism. Now, my dad didn't bring out the response from me. He didn't bring the love of the game in my heart and probably never would because I'm not a sportsman. But he knew what was wrong with my game. He knew that I was, running, I was running around the football pitch not looking for the ball. I was a defender or I was in goal because I was big and slow. Um, so that's where I would be. And I'd just try and get in the way of people. I'd, I'd try to do a good job defending, but I would never look for the ball. If I had the ball, I would try and give it away uh, as quickly as I possibly could. And my dad could see that and it frustrated my dad because he knew that I could do it if I just tried. You know, his genes were in me. I could, I could probably be a an okay footballer if I, if I tried. And I'm just reminded of that this morning because that's how some of us play with, the, play with the gospel. You know, we're at Love Your City, but it's like your head's down. You're not looking for the ball. No one asked me about Jesus. It's not me. Kick the ball to the striker. Oh, someone's asking me, what, why are you guys here today? Oh, ask him. Ask Jonathan. Ask, hey, Adam. Ask Adam. He's a wise murmur. He loves Jesus. He loves talking to people. We can do that with evangelism. And God wants us today to step out. He wants to bring our eyes up. He wants to take us off the back of our heels onto the balls of our feet. And he wants us to look for opportunity and not be scared because he's given us everything that we need. I was listening to a, a, a preacher a couple of weeks ago and they talked about, this preacher was talking about sneaky Judas lies that the, 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 the enemy tells you to sort of, sort of, you know, he kind of went on to this, Someone had given him this term, a Judas lie. And it's like this lie, Judas kissed the cheek of, of Jesus to betray him. And there's all these lies that kiss us on the cheek, that give us a bit of comfort, but they betray us and our mission of what we're supposed to do. There's so many things as we're sitting here, if you're not particularly gifted in this area, if maybe evangelism isn't your spiritual gift, we know the lies, the obstacles that get into us. 
Someone else will do it. There's always 10 distractions, 10 lies from the enemy, and all sorts of self-doubt. This person isn't seeking. They're not really seeking. I'll wait for someone who's seeking. I'm not the right person to deliver the gospel message. There's all sorts of things, and we know what our particular ones are. But we need to start moving from a place of fear to a place of grace and hope that that promise in Romans 10.20 is true for the person who's cutting our hair, for the person who's mowing our lawn, for the person who we're interacting with on the bus or the coffee shop or anybody, we need to start moving to that. We need to start having Jesus' eyes for people. One of the things I love about that verse that we read in 2 Corinthians 5.16, if we could just have that, that one verse on the screen there, Charles, says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regarding, regard him thus no longer. And the flesh... That can be one of the biggest distractions in our lives from reaching people. You know, you see someone whose life is so counter the gospel. You see someone whose actions, whose language, whose tattoos or different things is just so counter what you've come to know as what is acceptable in Christianity. And we disqualify sharing the gospel. You know, we'll wait for the person who, you know, I'll share the gospel with someone who really seems like a Christian already. It's like, hey, you, you recognize those people at work sometimes. Hey, dude, are you a Christian? No. Oh, you should be, because you're like 90% there. We can do it. (laughs) And we can judge ministry opportunities according to the flesh. We can judge people who we think, who we see, who who we're going to share with. But don't let judging people get in the way of the gospel message. That is the flesh. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? It's that means we've got to take those lenses off. We've got to take what we see in the natural off. We've got to take, no matter how far away they seem from Jesus, we've got to take that off and we've got to put on the lenses and see their spirit inside of them and ask, Jesus, does this spirit want to know you? Is this the spirit that you said in Romans 10.20 that you wanted to reveal to yourself to? Is this the person? We've got to start asking that question. In Romans 10.14, it asks us that obvious question. We read it earlier. How will they call on him who they have not believed? One of the things that we have to know on there's there's two sides of this story. There's the side of the story that says, okay, the ownership is on us to spread the gospel. And there's the other side of the gospel, or the other side of the story that says only growth and someone can only call on the name of of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. One of the stories that reminded of me is this when I was back home and, and we were doing an alpha, a student alpha. If you don't know what alpha is, it's a time when you can come, have some food with a bunch of Christians, um, hear a talk, watch a video, and it's a time of uh, 10 or 12 weeks. Actually, Brandon works for alpha, the guy playing guitar today. Hey, Brandon, good to see you. Um, it's a time where you can come and sort of... it. It just takes you slowly through the Gospels. It's a really good program. We've done it here at Oceanside before. And we were doing Student Alpha back in, um, in England. And because it was Student Alpha, you know, trying to reach students with food isn't hard. You know, you say, you tell a student you've got a warm, hot meal waiting for them. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to come eat your food. And great, we'll have Alpha at the same time. And uh, I signed up for this. I didn't invite a particular person along. But during my time in Alpha in that stage of just sitting and talking with people, the one guy I met was this guy called Lawrence. And Lawrence, I, I must have been about 17 at the time. He was probably a couple years older. And we got on really well because we loved to argue about everything. Um, we loved to, And we would talk about science, basically, his his. Our week after week after different thing, we would talk about evolution and science and 
what, you know, what fits with the Bible, what doesn't fit, you know, and, and he was the most loud, objective person you have ever met. He was a beefy, fit guy as well, so, you know, I mean, but he was, anyway. <clears throat> he were, it, it was an intimidating argument, but it was this, like, we were always arguing about ideology and, and what would work and what doesn't work. And I had given up hope for this guy, but he was my guy, he would be the guy that I talked to um, every week at Alpha. And if you know anything about Alpha, at the last week at Alpha, you, ha- you invite people to basically church. You take them out of the coffee shop or out of the restaurant, and you go, you go to a church, and you have a Holy Spirit uh, time, uh, weekend or a time that they can, they can count on. And, and he came along. I'm like, dude, why are you here? You just came to eat and to argue for, for 10 weeks. And now we're at the week 11, but you're still here. And as we went into worship, as we prayed, I remember I wasn't particularly engaged, but as I looked around the room, Lawrence was crying on the side with his hands out, accepting Jesus as Lord. I was like, what's going on? Why is the, the, and a lot of the people who are far more pleasant on Alpha, you know, the ones that would listen to you that have a pleasant conversation, they were kind of not interacting. But this guy who was so opposed, so objective, so all these other things, he was the one that was encountering the Lord. And that's where we, where we find in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. We've got to know that when we're sharing the gospel, even though if it talk, sometimes it feels like we're talking against a brick wall, God might be doing something behind the, behind the scenes. And I only stuck it out with him because we were on this course. I only stuck it out with Lawrence so long because we had this program, because I had to stick it out for 11 weeks. If I hadn't had that program, would I still have pursued him? Probably not. I'd be like, this, this guy's a science guy. He just wants to argue about science. But here was God used and broke into him. Another verse that sort of takes the onus off of ourselves but still gives us something to do is 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7. And we've, we've mentioned it a few, uh, quite a few times. I think it's one of the, the verses Mike, Mike likes to reference, but it's it, Paul talking again. He says, I planted, Apollo watered, but God gave the growth. So the apostle Paul planted the seed. Another uh, apostolic name came and watered that seed, but only God provided the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. And we have to know about that, that the people that we're ministering to, right? Like we have to know that, and that's freeing for us. And so many of the times when I've heard Mike reference that verse before, I feel like, oh, I'm free. It's God's responsibility to witness to the lost. It's God's responsibility to grow the people. It's God's responsibility. Only he can do it, so I'll just leave it to him. But that's not what that verse says. And just like I stand behind sometimes the people with the gift of evangelism, I stand behind that verse and said, it's up to God, he'll do it all, just leave it to him. That's a lie from the enemy. That is not how God is establishing his kingdom on earth. That is not how he's witnessing to people. That is not how he's saving the lost. Plants require watering. Someone planted the seed, another person came along and watered. It's something you actually have to do. Occasionally, Camilla goes away for a weekend and we've moved recently and one of the new things that have happened in my life is that we now have a lot of plants and it's great I don't really interact with them there's one that covers like half the hallway and you have to like walk through this plant I think Greg and Jade have a particular issue with plants as well anyway they would know that you need to water plants for them to grow and usually Camilla goes away, she'll tell me all the technical names, she, like, she gives the name, like the real scientific names, like plants have names it turns out, um, and she'll say, you're needed, what is one of the plants? 
A gardenia. Okay, so there's a plant called a gardenia, if you could believe it. And that one needs to be watered in this way. And usually I completely forget about it. And the day she's coming home, three days later, this, all the plants in the house are just wiltering. I'm like, Camilla's back today. She's back in four hours. And luckily you can like give some plant something to drink and it, it'll, it'll fill up pretty quickly. <laughs> luckily they're not all dead. Um, but Camilla goes away. She asks me to water the plants and I usually neglect. It's the last thing on my mind. But God is asking us to do the same thing, people. God has left us. God in, you know, Jesus ascended back into heaven and he said, go therefore and make disciples. And all these other verses that are telling us to do. And here we see the imagery of a plant or of a seed being planted and a seed being watered and God providing the growth. Guys, we need to figure out what that watering is to the people around us. We can't just leave it. We need to be prepared. Jesus is coming back. We can't leave it until someone's on their deathbed like the plant. Let's not leave it till someone's in, in that later life who gets cancer. Why do we leave it until then? Let's water them now. This thing needs to be done now. And even though we, we have to water the plants, it's good because we're equipped. With, God has given us all the equipment we need to do that. We just need to listen and look out for the opportunities. The average Western person knows as little about Jesus as they ever have. And that's one of the things. It used to be a full sense of self-security as a Christian growing up back home. It was just, you just knew all your friends knew about God. And you'd tell your friends what you're doing on Sunday. Yeah, I'm going to church or I'm going to Christian camp. And you knew that they knew kind of that outline of the gospel. So you didn't really have to try very hard. You know, I don't need a whisk. They're not unreached people groups because they've been reached with the message of the gospel. They just don't believe it. And probably rightly so. Like, why would you hear something that, why would you believe something that you've been taught in? our religious education at school or whatever, or however you've heard it. But it's good that that is now going away. In, in some cases, when I was in South Africa doing an internship there, we, me and my buddy who, who lived and we were the kind of the youth pastors at the, at the church there, we would go one day a week and spend Wednesday afternoons in uh, a hospital. And uh, we would pray for lots of people, that lots of people were spending a lot of time at, at hospital. And what was incredibly frustrating about, about that is that they knew that you were coming around and, and they knew you were Christian and they knew the answers that you wanted to hear. So you ask this guy who's sitting in a bed who's, who's dying of AIDS and you'd ask him, hey, do you know the Lord? And he'd say, yes. But as, as you get a feeling for this guy, you really know that they're not connected with Jesus. And actually one of the advantages about our, our society and moving away from God is that they don't even pretend to have a faith. A bunch of my parents' generation grew up with a faith, but it's not the faith that really believes in Jesus. It's just a cultural knowledge. And so actually, when our world turns away from Christ, when people actually don't feel that they need to say they're Christian anymore, anymore longer to keep the status quo, there's actually a new freedom to share the gospel because people will blatantly tell you, no, I don't believe in Jesus, even though I know you're a pastor. No, talk to me about that. It's an opportunity, in fact. We need a change one of the, the great examples that I've had in my life of someone just having a willingness to share the gospel is actually Dean, who was leading the, the worship this morning. Dean has a son called AJ, married a girl called, or called Maddie, and now they live in Australia. Um, and AJ I knew for, it was probably like four years, I think. Um, and this guy just could not shut up about the gospel. 
Um, I don't know what it is about the Bolin family, but they have, a, they have a knack for raising kids who love Jesus, so good job. And AJ was one of them, and, and we knew each other fairly well. And AJ was a part of our connect group. And one of the things I loved about AJ is that he would invite non-Christians to our very Christian connect group. And so I remember the first time this happened, I think the guy's, guy's name was Steve, that he brought along, and he brought along Steve to Connect Group. I'm like, hey, Steve, like, cool that you're here. Yeah, you don't have to come to Oceanside to come to Connect Group, but which, which church do you go to? He's like, no, I'm not a, I'm not a Christian. AJ just, just brought me to Connect Group. And it was so awesome to see a radical example of someone just willing to share their faith, and not just willing to, to blurt out their faith and run away, but actually to take people on a journey, invite them into our houses, invite them into relationship, say, even though, hey, we talk about the sermon on Wednesday nights, but there's a cool group of people there, maybe come along, maybe listen. It completely changed for the season that we, we had AJ in our connect group. And it happened three or four times that he brought these people. And these people stayed in the connect group. These people came for like entire semesters um, that, AJ, that AJ was about and, and doing stuff. And people came, they heard the gospel, and it completely changed the culture of our connect group. Instead of just talking about the sermon and using all this Christian jargon, we had to go back to the basics. And sometimes that can be frustrating But actually, it was so, so good for our connect group to be turned into this thing. And I want to say, when we get back into the connect groups in September, you absolutely should make make opportunity for non-Christians to come to your connect group. It shouldn't be a scary place. And the people that he was inviting, they weren't terrible. They weren't like completely crazy. You know, sometimes you invite people, like I found a spiritual nut who's just open to everything spirituality so they can, they can come to church and you know, people like that will come and experience every different spiritual thing. The people that AJ was inviting weren't like that. They were just regular guys, the guys who ride motorcycles, who have regular jobs, who aren't looking to you know, find God. But here we see AJ fulfilling the promise of Romans 10.20 that God wants to reveal himself to people who haven't even asked for it. And then we find this piece on Sending. This piece on sending, we, we, we say that we're a gathering, healing, training, sending church. And for sending for many of the years that I was at Oceanside, I thought sending was talking about church planting. And yeah, it is talking about church planting. By the way, Russ and Glenn are halfway to Alberta right now. They, they get to Edmonton today, so, so please, um, they're planting a church. If you don't know them, uh, please play for them. But it's not just about church planting. We're, we have all been sent into a mission field. The harvest is plentiful. In Matthew 9, 37, it says, when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. How many people in our society are harassed and helpless? Crazy amount of people. Like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into the, his harvest. The imagery is sometimes kind of lost, lost on us. I mean, I was reminded by doc, watching a documentary a few months back <clears throat> about how agriculture has changed. You know, back in Jesus' time, I don't know the, the exact stats, but around 70% of the workforce would have been in agriculture. Now it's, you know, between 3 and 5%, depending on your nation's industry but a terribly small percentage. This, this fact of the harvest is ripe made complete sense to the people that Jesus was talking to. If the harvest was ripe for a farmer, that means opportunity. It means provision. It means like you would not, if the harvest was ripe, you would not wait to run out into the field and gather the harvest. There's timing to it. It's happening. It's happening now. So how can you become a laborer? 
How can we become? When Jesus tells us to pray for the Lord to send, send out laborers into his harvest. That's kind of funny terminology because it does seem like in that prayer you can put the onus on somebody else. But I believe that we can turn around those prayers and put them on ourselves. I have never been left without an answer to prayer when I've prayed for someone, when I've prayed for an opportunity to share the gospel. When I've felt times in my life where I'm just like, and I think another time of this is coming for us as a church, when we have to start praying, God, please give us me an opportunity. I've never had that opportunity go without. Opportunities to, to share the gospel would come around without us even praying, but let us pray. And if you pray with discipline, I promise you will get opportunities to share the gospel. Don't underestimate what God can do for you. Later in the verse, we get this imagery of feet. And feet are more pleasant than they've ever been, right? We have, we have socks now. We have nice Nikes that you can put your, put your feet in and it's soft and cushiony as you walk around. But as I was reading one, one commentary on, on, this, on this verse, he's like, feet are the most disgusting thing on the human body. Especially back in Jesus' day. You know why Jesus, Jesus washing the disciples' feet was so radical? Because they are the most disgusting piece on your body. There's some people in the church who walk around barefoot. I won't name them, but... When you walk around with sandals or bare feet in the desert and these little spiky things get you, your feet become very hard, calloused, and horrible. I think the only beautiful feet that exist are maybe a, a baby's feet. Um, I, Zion's feet, who uh, Zion, our child, has, has turned two, his feet have recently made the transition from nice baby feet to disgusting feet. Um, <laughs> One of Camilla's least favorite things about me are my feet, and Zion got my feet. He got my weird toenails that do different things and, um, and all this different stuff, but his, his, his beautiful feet ha- have, have left him now. And it doesn't matter because he's a guy, he, he, he won't care too much. But why beautiful feet? A lot of us, we have a society, we spend so much of our lives on beauty. Um, Different ones of us to different degrees. But Jesus says, or sorry, in Romans it says, how beautiful are the feet of, of those who preach the good news. We have to wake up and we have to realize that true beauty, true beauty that God seeks are carriers of the gospel. Beauty is not to be found in our looks, in our hair, in our wealth, in our clothes, in our fitness or anything like that. True beauty, the beauty that will be beautiful to the lost are the people who carry the good news. And we know these people. We, we each know probably people who have just lived their lives radically. Even AJ, beautiful man of God. Not because I find him particularly attractive, but because he's a carrier of the gospel, that man. And we should all desire to do that. He's a very beautiful boy. Sorry, Susan. But, but you know what I mean. Work for real um, beauty, to be carriers of the gospel. I just want to remind you of a few verses as we land here. In John 4:35, it says, do, "Do you not say, there are yet four months, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest." Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. This is Jesus talking again. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I believe the fields are as white for harvest in Jesus' time as they are today. Are they not? In fact, there's even more people today than there ever were in Jesus' time. So the harvest is even bigger than ever before. We need to see the field with the same eyes that Jesus saw them. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest.
The other verse that hit me this morning, um, it was just a tweet. I was just getting out of bed and sometimes I get on Twitter and one of the verses that was just there that spoke to me again was says, Christ in 1 Timothy 1.15 says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's true, right? That's happened to you. That's happened to, the God, to you sitting here believing God. But it hasn't yet happened to the people outside these walls. It hasn't yet happened to those people in your workplace, to those family members. And we are carriers of that answering phone message. If we sit on that message and that person stands before God at the end of days, wouldn't they be a bit miffed that we didn't share it with them? Just to remind you of Romans 10 verse 20, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. I want to just ask you to bow your heads for a second here. I just want to give an opportunity for God to speak to you here this morning. And I'm going to invite Mike up. And Mike, do you want the band up? Or? Okay, so Mike wants the band up. Um, but I just want you to shut your eyes. And I want you to pray to God right now. And I, I want you to ask him for a name. With some of you, it's a son, it's a spouse, it's a father, it's a mother. Some of you, it's a colleague. If there's a family member that's on your mind, I just want you to, to really concentrate on that name. Who is your heart burning for here this morning? Who is God putting on your heart right now to deliver a gospel message to this week? And I want you to ask God for an opportunity. Just pray to God right now. God, give me an opportunity with this person. Give me an opportunity with random people. Give me an opportunity with people in my family and people outside of my family, in my workplace, in my extended relationship, hobbies, all of it. Church, we see here that this is, it's God's heart to reach the lost. One of the things I love about loving prayer is praying for things that I know God wants and God wants to reach the lost. So I encourage you um, in the prayer meeting this morning, morning, I think Nick prayed that God would just give us opportunities this week to share the gospel. Church, I want to charge you this morning with praying every morning in your your time with God. Just set aside five minutes, just, just pray for the lost and put it on your hearts. Let Him give you names. Let Him give you opportunities. You won't go without opportunities if you pray for Him. Amen. Wonderful. Outstanding word, Andy. Thank you so much. And um, one of the beautiful things about God giving us opportunity, Deborah and I, sometimes once we love and some a bit harder to be outside of the context of this local church. It's amazing how it's like sitting on a mountain and you're seeing and I pray for you guys, asking God, um, where, where we're at and, and what he wants us to do. And this clearly over the six, six, seven weeks in South Africa um, and having an opportunity because of Deb's mom being in hospital to pray and speak to many people reminded me how inward focused I'd become. And um, I felt God and as a leader of this church too impressed that This is a season for the harvesters to begin to step out. 
to begin to go and be the salt and light that God's called us to be. And some people will do it in word and some people will do it in deed. We should do both, but some people are more eloquent. But when we start loving people, you see, in, in um, what Andy said, this is when he saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them. And being in that hospital again in, in, in an African context, it's amazing how my heart again was, was awakened to so many people with so many needs. And it doesn't matter which hospital hospital it is and so as we worship this week I'm going to pray God soften our hearts towards the lost Lord forgive us when we've been so inward focused and uh, where, where I have I can't speak for you but you know the amazing thing about a harvest if it's not harvested it rots and dies doesn't just hang around there forever and Jesus has compassion for the city and love your city one of my biggest fears and I say it over and over is that it becomes an event a one off we've done our evangelism for the year and we do it really well but once again as we we, we, um, leading towards us that it will be a springboard for us our harvest field is where we work. Our mission field is where we work. Our primary mission field as this church, because it's planted us here, is Nanaima. Next one eight, and we're finished with this and we're going to worship. Jesus said to his disciples, wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They had the Holy Spirit in them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And he said, you will see, receive power, the dunamis power of God, the incomparably great power that Paul speaks on in Ephesians chapter 1, that are for us who believe. And what did he say? To be my witness. Power to witness. And I can guarantee you, because I've been in this in, in many nations, And when you're in that zone of needing the power of God, especially in third world context, um, it's in Haiti in January and will be there next year, where there's no doctors to call, there's no um, plan B. But when in your simple faith with fear and trembling, begin to lay hands on people and you connect them with God, it's it's like a conduit. It's like for light, to get from the big massive nuclear power plant or hydro plant or wherever our power is coming from at this stage. There needs to be a conduit to connect it to the, the lights. And it's like when we hold the hand of God and we hold the hand of that person and we're in the middle and it's actually, in a sense, looks like a cross to me. When we do that and we begin to lay our hands on the sick, some of them are miraculously healed. But Matthew 16 and Mark 16 says they will recover. Sometimes it's a process. 
And so I'm just praying for us just to get a revelation of these amazing people God's called us to on a daily basis interact with and step out of our boats and begin to walk on water. And I've, been, I've done that a few times and I'm like Peter, just my nostrils are out the water, gagging, sinking through the situation and you put out your hand. And I have this picture of Jesus in that. I, that there, I love to imagine what Jesus must have done. And, and I don't think it was, oh, Peter, you have little faith and I'm going to stick my hand on your head and you're going to drown. I see Jesus with this most incredible smile on his face. This is my boy. He got out of the boat. He tried and he's going to sink. And he's, oh, Peter, you have little faith. And walking him back. Interesting how we focus on Peter and his little faith, but we don't focus on the 11 that were too scared to get out the boat. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that, that I'm too scared to get out the boat and, and, and begin to trust Jesus for these things. Even if I mess up and even if I'm drowning, He's there for me. So if we could stand for a moment, this is a prayer over you and... Um, Pray for the Holy Spirit just to seal this in our hearts. It's not condemnation, but it is a conviction from the Holy Spirit. So, Father God, I thank you that you brought us together. Lord, I thank you for visitors that are here, Lord God. May may be going to many places around this nation, Lord. Lord, I pray that they will sense together with us your love, your forgiveness and acceptance that you're spurring us on to love and good deeds. Lord, you're not angry with us. You're just drawing us closer to you. And I pray, Lord God, where my heart has gone hardened to people out there, Lord, that I, in a sense, and we would begin to feel the compassion that you have for these beautiful people. We thank you, Jesus, for saving us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for putting us in community. But you want this community and many communities to grow and go and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's worship the Lord for a moment.